Let's take our Bible and turn to the book of Exodus. Uh, Lord willing, tonight we are going to cover the, the last of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, and please get that, uh, that page in your Bible as well as in your left hand, and Deuteronomy chapter 5 in the right, if you can. I want to look at a compar- com- comparison of these two accounts. Remember, these were approximately 40 years apart. The one in Deuteronomy was uh, said by Moses right before he died, and then the one in Exodus was the a- account of the actual occurrence. So, uh, Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus chapter 20. We'll read chapter 20, and then we'll pray, uh, and then we'll look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. The Bible says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to uh, look into your word once again. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to pray together. Lord, what a blessing uh, that we get the chance to lift up our voices in unison to, to the throne of God where you hear us and you answer. And we pray that you would answer these things that we prayed together with Brother Ben. Lord, would you please bless our time in the word tonight as we look in your word. Let it be a, a strength and an encouragement to us. Uh, guide me to help me to know what to say to your people and guide your people to know how to receive the word as well. Lord, if, if there's something in us that needs to be corrected, Lord, please do the correcting and help us to have insight and understanding in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, we have the command against covetousness. All right, then if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 in, a, in a, another passage in which this command is repeated, you will see uh, in the, uh, let's look down here to verse number 21. Deuteronomy 5, 5.21 says this, now notice in Exodus, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, wife, etc. This says, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor. What, what word do you know? The key word there, switch. What was it? The word covet and the word desire. All right? Um, now, we, we saw this feature in our Bible when we looked at the command against murder. We saw in some places the Bible uses the term kill, and in other places the Bible uses the, uses the term Murder uses them, uses them synonymously. Well, this helps us, this feature in which one passage will use, or one part of a verse will use one word, and then it uses saying the same thing in parallel, uses a different word, helps us understand the meanings of these words. And in this case, the word covet simply means desire. So when you say the word covet, it's not necessarily evil. Most of the time, it's an evil thing. But not always. It's not always evil. Because the word covet simply means to desire that. Now, for instance, sometimes we use this term jokingly when we'll, well, 
uh, we use the, we usually use the term, well, I'm jealous or I'm envious when something good happens to somebody. We don't actually mean I am sinning against God and you right now because I like your new car or whatever. We are, <laughs> but we, we might use the term covetous in, a, in an all moral sort of way. So it doesn't necessarily have to be evil. It just simply means, uh, it simply means desire or lust, desire or lust. Let me give you a couple of examples if you want to take uh, notes on these verses. There are two verses in the Bible that use the term covet in a good way to refer to desire. 1 Corinthians 6.10 says this. Um, that's not the verse I meant to write down. There is another one, but I'll just give you one. What's that? That's it. Can you read it for us, Brother Joseph? Okay, I'll go ahead and read my other one, and you can read the second one because I don't have it in front of me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 says this, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more earnest, a more excellent way. So the idea being that there are, there, in the gifts of the Spirit, there are things that we should desire, right, that are good. And so there are things that are absolutely the virtues that God wants you to have in your Christian life. Do you covet? Do you covet a close relationship to God, or do you not? Do you covet a relationship to God that is, that is uh, say, similar to someone else who you, uh, that you might look up to? Yeah, we should covet that. We should desire that. So that's, it doesn't have to be evil, but most of the time this word is evil. In fact, in Romans 7, 7, you also see this same kind of uh, parallel that I mentioned. We might refer to it as a definition principle. Uh, you're, you should be glad, we should be glad. And we, we nerded out a little bit uh, when we looked at the other commandment about why the translators took the same word and translated it one way, one place, and one a different way in a different place. One of the reasons they did that is to have a variety of words. So instead of being stuck on one word, which sometimes makes that word kind of go come into like a special meaning, they use different words and it helps us to understand the Bible. For example, Romans 7, 7 says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. See how it's used in parallel? So it helps us understand the Bible. This is one of hundreds and hundreds of places where you can find this aspect in the Bible if you're paying attention, which I hope you're paying attention when you read your Bible. All right, but that, and that reminds us, what shall we say then is the law of sin? I just want to remind you, you were reading the Ten Commandments. A lot of people say a lot of bad things about the commandments of God. The commandments of God are not bad. The commandments of God, the thou shalt and thou shalt not, are not bad. Paul himself said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. The law is not bad. The law, in Romans 7, it also says the law is good. The law is good. But people in our time, they despise restrictions. They despise being told nay, right? And so they despise commandments. And so they, you know, they'll say things like, we're under grace. We are, right? We've studied that in detail, have we not? We are under grace, you can try your best to keep the commandments and that won't get you to heaven. You got to have grace. You got to have grace. But now that you're a child of God, the Lord says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Your obedience 
My obedience matters, even under grace. Grace is not meant to be used as a pretext to sin against God and His commandments. The right use of grace is not intended to do that at all. So how do we define covetousness? Covetousness is this. If you want a definition, here's a definition. Unlawful desire. The dictionary says uh, culpable desire. That means it's desire that it makes you guilty. Unlawful desire. Okay, so that's kind of what the, the main definition is when we look in the New Testament. Now, there's three... I, I, I want to clarify this because how many of you have something going on in your life right now? Maybe a, a, a personal situation, maybe a financial situation. Maybe you have a... Maybe you have a, a an issue personally in your, in your own heart and mind that you want to be remedied, like in your, in your relationship to the Lord or your relationship to somebody else. Now, the word covet just means desire. So say you, you have a junky car and it's causing you problems and you're pouring money into it and it's coming out the bottom, right? Is it wrong? Is it a violation of the 10th ten, the commandment to desire a new car? Thou shalt not covet, right? All right. So say, say you um, say you have a, a financial need. Say you're in a you're in a bad situation with your job and you don't make enough money. Is it a sin to desire more money to supply your needs through a better job? Is it a sin? You see. But see, this is a this is a question. Because I know those are more obvious examples. Those are more obvious. What about if going back to the car situation? What if you had a car that was Okay, but you wanted to upgrade your car. You desired a better car. Is that a sin? Is that covetous? You see, it's getting gray, right? You could split it down and maybe, maybe not. So with that in mind, I mean, because there's things I like. Is it, you know, you, every year they come up with a new iPhone, a new iPhone. And some of you have a new, I have an iPhone, uh, not 15, Joshua has the 15 Pro. I have a 13 Mini, okay? Some of you probably have an iPhone SE or worse yet, an Android. But anyway. <laughs> We're going to have schism. Oh, here we go. Here we go, piping in. Can you read it for us? Covet to prophesy. All right. So, um, so I, I have an iPhone. It's a few years old. Okay, a couple years old maybe. And uh, some of you probably have an older iPhone than I have. You have an SE or a 10 or an X or whatever, 11. You have any of that? And every year that you're, it's perfectly functional. Is it a sin to desire to upgrade your phone? Is that covetous in the bad way? Is that unlawful desire? No, these are, these are legit for, listen, for a conscientious Christian who desires to really do the will of God. And it, I mean, we're not talking about we're slaves to this commandment. We're afraid, you know, we're afraid getting a new phone that God's going to send us to hell. I mean, come on. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about somebody that wants 
that wants a new phone. Is that a sin? So, to answer that question, I looked at, I, I tried to develop some, some further definitions about covetousness from the scripture that helps us to understand what is unlawful desire or lust and what is permitted desire. Because if you're not married, you desire a wife. Is that, is that unlawful, right? You desire a husband. You're not married. Is that wrong? Because you desire something. Thou shalt not covet. Okay, number one. Okay, so let me, the, the principle I made is this. Desiring something you don't have does not equal covetousness. Desiring something you do not have does not equal covetousness. It doesn't have to equal covetousness. So here's the principle. Number one, desire for something that you are willing to sin to get is a good definition, one of the ways you can tell it's covetousness. Desire for anything that you are willing to sin to get it. You know you've crossed the line clearly into covetousness. James 4 verse 2 says this, Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. These Christians were fighting, hating. They were, there was contention between them, all as a result of something they wanted. They were willing to sin against their brothers and sisters in Christ to get it. So we'll say this, anything you're willing to sin to get is wrong, is covetous, comes of covetousness. And that includes things like debt, like you're, you want to get a, you know, I would love to drive a 2024 Ford Expedition, not the long one, the short one. And Brother Stewart, he would love to, to drive a 1980-something Land Rover Defender. I mean, you might have to pay more for that because it's an antique compared to a brand new one. I'm, I'm trying to prod him to send me a message while we're... <laughs> yeah, he likes the Audi A6 as well. So here we go. You heard it, right? Let's see what he said. He said amen. <laughs> you know, but people, people without any regard to their financial situation, without any regard for... Uh, for their job or their money, or they put themselves in very poor financial conditions out of a pure desire to get a, a new vehicle. And again, we all like the new vehicle. But see, are we willing to bring harm to ourselves and our family in order to get it? That's where it's crossed the line. Number two, I mean, we, we could go into more like cheating on your taxes for the money, right? That's one. Of course, stealing, that comes, comes out of covetousness. Lying in order to get a profit or to avoid a loss. That's out of covetousness. There's many things. Anything we, we desire, we are willing to sin to get it is covetous. All right, number two, a desire for something that belongs to another. That's what the, the 10th commandment actually says. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And this, and this falls, under this falls any kind of objects like cars and houses and things like this, as we see here. Uh, but it also includes things like your neighbor's wife. 
which is actually listed. So adultery, actually, even though adultery is a separate commandment, falls up under the covetousness commandment. In other words, theft and adultery are actually the root of both of those sins is a sin of the heart, which is covetousness. If covetousness is not in your heart, you will not have to worry about theft. You will not have to worry about cheating in your taxes or other ways. You will not have to worry, worry about purloining, right? We studied that when we studied about theft. You will not have to worry about uh, other types of ways we weasel out of being honest and such. And you won't have to worry about adultery. You see, uh, the, th- this commandment, the 10th commandment, is the only commandment that deals with the heart. All the other ones are outside actions. Theft, murder, etc. They're all outside actions. Honoring one's parents and those kinds of things. The covetous, uh, the violation of the commandment against, co- of co- against covetousness is something only God knows. Of all the other commandments, it can be observed. Covetousness is the only one that God alone sees because it's something in the heart. That's what's unique about this commandment. Number three, okay, number three. Desire for something that is unlawful to have is covetous. Desire for something that is actually unlawful to have. And this, under this, could be a number of things, but the one I wrote down is fornication, right? Because in that case, you're not dealing with another person's spouse. You're dealing with someone who's unmarried, right? But that is an unlawful desire because it deals with something that is not lawful to have. If you look, if you if you want that, you got to get married. Then that then that desire is lawful and good and right. You see, that's another case in which uh, in which you might say in that in that context, lust or desire is lawful, is good and right. God God commends it. Anybody in our Sunday school class going through Proverbs is we went through that. All right. So you have those three rules, those three kind of rules or guidelines to understand, have I crossed the line? Desire to anything I'm willing to sin to get. Desire of something that belongs to another. Desire for something that is unlawful to have. Okay, now let's look at the other, which is what kinds of desires are permitted? What, what is, you might say, good covetousness? Number one, desire for something that is good, like greater virtue, the best gifts, right? Desire for something which is good. And number two, and this is we'll see in a minute from the book of Proverbs. Desire or covetousness, if we use that term loosely, that is permitted by the Lord is a desire for something that we are willing to work for. Here's the thing I want to show you, and then we'll look at Proverbs 21, is this. When labor, when work is added into the equation, the dynamic of what is, what is based in covetousness and not changes. When labor is added, the dynamic changes because you're willing to work for it and attain it lawfully, rightfully. Okay, look at Proverbs chapter 21, if you would. Proverbs 21, verse number 25.
says this, 21 verse 25. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedily, greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. You see that? So you have this picture of a guy who's lazy. And so because he's lazy, he doesn't have means to buy the things he wants. That's one benefit of work. When you, and I know people have all different financial positions and they make different amounts of money and, you know, that kind of thing. But generally speaking, this is a proverb, right? Generally speaking, people who work have money to buy things they desire. And that's okay. Right? That's okay. And you will also notice in our society that people who are sluggards and sloths and desire to mooch off of the tax dollars of those who work also can never get enough of other people's stuff. They're covetous. This is a feature you see together. People who refuse to work, this is what Proverbs is saying, people who refuse to work and are lazy will take what people give to them and always want more and more and more. And they constantly covet things they don't have that belong to other people. They're never, there's never enough. It's a, it goes together. It's a package deal. On the other hand, look at verse 26 again. The contrast is given to the righteous, but if you look at the structure of it, it's not only the righteous, but the, the implication is he's working. Because in the verse prior, it says, for his hands refuse to labor. The verse is repeated essentially in verse 26, but then it switches to the, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. So in this context, the righteous is, de is describing a man who works for what he gets, but notice the feature. He's not covetous, which means you want, but he's generous. That's the opposite of covetousness, is it not? So whereas you see a lazy person is a person who constantly wants what other people have. And that's a, that is a legitimate feature of human nature. When you see a laboring man, you're going to likely find a generous person as a general rule. And so the, here's what I'm trying to show you. The work itself alters the covetousness question. Because if you're willing to work for it, that means you are willing. You know, I think of Brother Ari. When I was preparing this, I thought about you, Brother Ari, and all the packout stuff that you're buying from Milwaukee Packout. You ought to see his van. If you've never seen his van, he doesn't care if the axles on his van fall apart, but man, he's got all his packout stuff inside his van, right? He doesn't care. He likes his red and white truck, right? And he puts the cool lights on it. It's like, it reminds me of Cambodia. You know what? He's got his pack-out stuff, right? It's a it, pack-out, for those of you that don't know, are a, a, a line of tools, and they can stack, and they, they interlock or whatever, so it's like a, a set, right? So he loves it. You know, here's the thing, though. Brother Ari is willing to work to have it, right? That goes a long way to justify it, right, in the, in the sight of the Lord. Okay, the 
The only exception to the thing where you would be willing to, you're willing to work for it is sometimes people, people are, are they want a thing and they, they're willing to work to get it, but they're willing to put the desire for it so high that they lift their job, their labor so high that it's, it's, it's out of order so that they can get that thing. In that case, it, you know, it falls under a different, one of our different rules down here. So you just got to be careful of that. All right. And this also speaks to gambling. Gambling. You know, Proverbs talks about those that are hasty to be rich. But what is the root of that? What is the root of spending money? Listen, <laughs> I heard of a comedian not too long ago talking about, uh, he, he, was, he was talking about when the, the, the jackpot of the, the lottery went above a billion dollars. And he was, he was talking about, you know, it was $998 million. He was saying, you know, ah, you know, he's like, I, I don't, ah, what, I mean, what's $998 million, million after taxes? So I'm not going to get a ticket. And then it went over a billion and then he's all of a sudden he wants to get a ticket. So he said, I bought a ticket for the first time. And um, he said, but when you look at the, when you look at the, uh, the statistics or the uh, probability, it would be like, it would be the equivalent of someone saying, look, I have, I have, uh, I have hidden $1 billion in a home somewhere in the American continents in the Western Hemisphere. You have one chance to find it. Good luck. You're not going to win the lottery, right? You're not, you're just not, you're not, you're not, just, you're not. So spending your money, you're just throwing it away, okay? That's just, that's just something we have to understand. Notwithstanding the news and all that. But the, the whole, listen, the whole idea of gambling, the root of it comes out of, I got to turn this off. The root of it comes out of covetousness. Wanting something you did not work for. And there's only one other exception to that, which is a gift. And gifts are perfectly okay. Gifts are perfectly okay. But usually gifts are not something expected, right? They're bestowed upon us and something we're thankful for. So those are some principles regarding covetousness. Now, there's a couple of tests that I use in my own life when it comes to covetousness to test my own heart. One test is this. Am I okay with not having that thing that I desire? Am I okay with not having it? Or is it going to drive me crazy? Now, we might, we might come to the conclusion that we're okay with not having it and still get it if we have the ability to do that. And that's okay. But if something gets your goat and it drives you crazy because you can't have it, covetousness has slipped into your heart. Number two is this. Am I happy when another person gets that thing that I desire? Because, and here's where covetousness and envy are shown to be first cousins. Now, as far as desire, illicit desire, unlawful desire, it doesn't have to be possessions. It can also be honor, respect, position. It can be praise from others, desire of all those things. You see, covetousness, the reason why it's a first cousin to, uh, first cousin to um, envy 
is because when you desire something that somebody else has that and somebody else has that thing, when you desire it, it alters your mind toward them. It alters your mind toward them. All right, let's look at a couple of verses in the New Testament and we'll try to conclude here. Look at Ephesians and Colossians. You can kind of hold your place in both. Ephesians 5. In the New Testament, covetousness is called idolatry. Ephesians 5, 5 says this. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. A covetous man who is an idolater. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Look at what it says. Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So unlawful desire is serious to God. God doesn't just willy-nilly, lightly call it idolatry. It means it has risen to a level that it is challenging God's place. If you're willing to sin for it, if I'm willing to sin for it, it is absolutely challenging God's place. Not only that, covetousness is so serious a sin that in, such that it marks a man as an unbeliever. Right? Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We already read Ephesians, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 real quick. What I mean by that is if, if a man is characterized as a covetous man, that is just like if he's characterized as an idolater or an adulterer. That, the, that lifestyle doesn't make him lose his salvation. No, it demonstrates that he lacks salvation. You see what I'm saying? Because he is still living in sin from which he has supposedly been forgiven and cleansed of. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 6 rather, verse number 10. Look at what the Bible says. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, well God says I got to be perfect to go to heaven. No, 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 no. But if, listen, if flagrant sin characterizes your life or my life, that is not a mark of salvation. That is a mark of not being converted, right? And this, this, is, this is not like complicated. All right, look at, look at, you're in 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 5. Again, we're talking about covetousness. The Lord steps it up a notch even further. Chapter 5, verse 11, the Bible says this, But now, Paul says, I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. Now think of this is this is strict stuff here. This is not something that's nice and uh, friendly things down here in the south that, you know, that fit fit neatly and tidily in the southern religion. God says, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, know not 
to eat. Then in verse 13, in the same context, he says, But them that are without God judgeth, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. It is so, covetousness is so serious a sin. God says, if someone is characterized by that sin in the church, put them out and don't fellowship with them. That's a serious matter. You know why? Because the way, the way we handle money, the way we view money in Scripture is representative of a many aspects of our moral thinking. It's not just money. It deals with our honesty. It deals with a lot of other aspects as well. So the Lord says this, is very, this, says this very plainly. Now look at two more passages and we'll be done very quickly. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And then we'll conclude in Hebrews chapter 13. Luke 12, verse number 13. Luke 12, verse 13 says this, And one of the company said unto him, Master, this is now the Lord speaking to Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto him, unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So look at this. Perhaps this man who comes to Jesus was due part of his inheritance. Perhaps he had a right to it. Maybe his claim was just, but here's the question. Even though maybe this man's claim was just, was he willing to be wronged, right? Take the wrong. Or would he allow covetousness to lead him? If he was willing to be wronged for a righteous reason, covetousness has gotten into his heart. In other words, if he, was, if he said, look, this is my right, this money is mine just as much as it's yours, and I'm a son too, and you better give it to me, and then you just burn the whole thing down with no regard to who it affects. You just burn the thing down because somebody owes you money. If we're willing to do that, or, or worse yet, willing to shame the name of Christ because of possessions, material possessions, that is wrong. Even here, and this is a case where if that's the case, you are wrong even if you're right because covetousness has entered the heart. This is exactly why the Bible forbids from a Christian in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, from a believer going to law, suing another believer. In that case, you have a, a financial dispute. The right thing to do in that case is to take the, take the hit. Even if you are right, is to deny yourself and say, no, even though I have a right to this money, right, even though I have a right to this money, I am not going to assert my right because this money is not as important as the name of Christ being tarnished. So I am going to deny my, in other words, I'm going to demote the value of the money. That shows 
that the heart is free of covetousness. But someone who's willing to just burn it down, tear down the family, tear down the church, tear tear down their personal life, destroy all the relationships around them, all so they can get that judgment. That's exactly what Jesus was dealing with. And secondly, he's trying to bring the Lord of all people into the matter to side with him. Listen, it is always a bad idea to try to get God to side with you in a money matter. (laughs) Trying to use God to justify anything born of covetousness is just wicked. It's just wicked. So the Lord issues a warning and he says this, and this warning is to me. And this warning is to all of us. He says, take heed and beware of covetousness. In other words, look in your own heart. Make sure your heart is free of it. And to follow that up, the Lord reminds us that our life is not about money. It's not made of money. Money is certainly not something for which we should sin against God by desiring it. It is just not that important. Amen? Lastly, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Why is the Lord's... Why does the Lord put such a... Take it so serious a matter, this matter of covetousness, such that people are, it's a mark of an unbeliever. People are to be put out of the church. It's equal to idolatry. Those are serious words. And those things are not attached to every old sin. I think it comes down to this, what we read here. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. Stop. The question has to be asked here is this. What do I have? If everything is taken away from you or me, we still have the Lord. And He is enough. It says, Be content with such things as you have. For, notice the Conjunction, the coordinating conjunction. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So what keeps covetousness away from our heart is remembering that no matter what I have or don't have, I have the Lord and with him I should be content. There is nothing that there is that I, that I should desire because what what do what lack I with the Lord? I have Him. None of those, I don't need any of those things. That's the counterbalance. Because, so really, covetousness is really more about our relationship to God and our dissatisfaction with Him. That's, that's hard words, but, but it's true. It's true. So Lord, may the Lord... Keep us from this, uh, this, the violation of this 10th commandment. Keep our heart pure in these things. Let's pray.